0: Good morning, Central. Before we get started this morning, I just want to take a moment and acknowledge that we all wish that we were meeting together in this sanctuary this morning. It's been a long time, and I just want to go back a few months and remember that Pastor Tim did a series earlier this year called Courageous Faith. It was centered on Joshua chapter one, verses, uh, verse nine, where it tells us to be strong and courageous. And you know, in these unusual and uncertain times, We need that courageous faith more than ever before. And you know what? The elders need that courageous faith, and we need your prayers as we seek God's will for the direction of this church. We are seeking wisdom on how to get back together, when to do it, how to do it. And we know that there are many strange things happening in this world. Many of these things are confusing and even scary, some of them. But we recognize that God has placed you, God has placed Central Christian Church right here in San Jose at this time. And Jesus said that the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. So we have hope. We, have a, we know that God has a plan. We know that he has a purpose for everything that's happening right now. And we're anxious to be ready to move forward in whatever it is that God has planned. But we also know that every time Joshua moved forward, he did so with clear direction from God and with God's protection. And as elders, that's what we want too. We need the wisdom to know that we're moving forward with God's uh, direction and his provision and protection for us. And so we just ask that you would pray for us during this time as we think about how we continue to move Central Christian Church forward. We are eager to meet together with you again soon. So thank you for your prayers. And with that, let's uh, go ahead and begin our lesson this morning. In John Maxwell's book, Running with the Giants, we are invited to join him in a thought exercise. In this thought exercise, you are running around a track in the middle of a great stadium filled with thousands of people who are encouraging you and cheering you on. And as you look around this stadium, you don't recognize a whole lot of faces, but you recognize a few. Maybe you recognize your grandmother, who you know as a child was always praying for you. Maybe it was the Sunday school teacher that introduced you to the Bible for the first time. Maybe it's the friend that invited you to summer camp or the youth coach who helped you through college, through a, a difficult time in high school, or a friend in college or a colleague at work who invited you back to church again. As you continue, while you don't recognize everybody in the crowd, though, you somehow have a deep understanding that you have an important spiritual connection with each person here, that somehow each person in the stadium has played an important role in your personal spiritual faith journey. As you continue to run around the track, you come to some seating that looks like it's been set aside for some very important people. And the people that are sitting there are old and stately. They look like they've just walked out of the pages of your picture Bible book that you had as a child. But before you can think much more about it, one of them gets up, hurries down the stairs, and settles into a comfortable jog beside you, and turns to you and begins to share an important biblical truth. This is John Maxwell's uh, thought exercise, and it's centered around Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And John Maxwell's, uh, In John Maxwell's thought exercise, we are running our race around the track in this stadium. And the stadium is filled with the great cloud of witnesses of people who have run their personal faith journey ahead of us and finished uh, their race. And John Maxwell wonders, what if the giants of our faith could come down and run a single lap with us? What spiritual truths, what biblical truths might they share with us? And that's what this series has been about and we've been running with some incredible giants. In this series so far we've we've listened to Abraham, Isaiah, Samuel, Rahab, Mary, and last week we heard from Elisha. And as we continue to run around the track this morning, a beautiful young woman gets up from her seat, hurries down the stairs, and begins to gracefully run beside you. And before you can say anything, she turns to you and says, "Be generous to others because you never know how God might use your generosity." to accomplish his purposes. Well, my name is Richard Rock, and I serve as one of the elders here at Central Christian Church. And if you're new with us this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us. We are in week seven of our series, Running with the Giants. And if you've missed any of the previous uh, lessons, you can go back to our website at centralsj.org and catch up. But this morning, before we take another lap around the track, would you join me in prayer? And I just wanna ask that God would make this a time of learning this morning as we dig into his word. Well, Father God, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, thank you for the ways that you take care of us, the way that you teach us, the way that you bring us along. And Lord, this morning, we want to learn more about who you are and what your plans for us are. And especially in the area of generosity, Lord, you are a generous God. You have done so much for us, including sending your Son so that we could have eternal life. And Lord, you call us to look more and more like you. And so this morning, Lord, we ask that you would just open our hearts, open our minds, that you would remove distractions, anything that might get in the way of us understanding a little bit more about who you are and how we can grow to look more like you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to be running with Rebecca. We first meet Rebecca in Genesis chapter 24, and we're gonna be looking at the second half of this chapter today starting in about verse 15. But Rebecca was married to Isaac. She is the mother of Jacob and Esau. And here in Genesis chapter four, we see her demonstrating incredible generosity. Now, on this particular morning in Genesis chapter 24, Rebecca is getting ready to do her morning chores. She's probably not much more than a teenager, and one of her chores would have been to go get water for the family, which would have involved carrying very large, heavy jars full of water back and forth from the well to the home, probably several times a day. And in Bible days, this was mostly women's work, but it was not easy work. These jars of water could weigh as much as 40 pounds. So imagine trying to carry two 20-pound dumbbells over your head back and forth to the store a couple of times a day. It was not easy work. And on this particular morning, after she fills up this jar for the first time and she gets ready to leave, a stranger comes up to her and asks for a cup of water. She quickly offers him a cup of water, and then as he is drinking, she looks around and she sees that he has camels with him, 10 camels that also look thirsty, and she offers to the servant to water his camels for him. And a look of amazement comes over the servant as she begins to go to work. This was no small offer of helping out because with 10 camels who could drink 20 gallons each, 200 gallons, could have taken as many as 40 trips back and forth to the well, maybe more than two hours for her to do this. So it was a big offer that she made. As she finishes, Uh, She goes back to the servant, and the servant asks what her name is. And when she answers, he falls down and begins to worship God. And he cries out, he says, praise the Lord, he has not forgotten my servant Abraham. And so we wonder, Why would this servant fall down and react like this to Rebecca's demonstration of such a kind and generous nature? But what causes him to uh, thank God in that way? And we're going to come back to this part of uh, the lesson in Genesis chapter 24 here in a little bit. But before we do, I want to just look at some things that the Bible tells us as followers of Jesus. The Bible tells uh, so that when you become a follower of Jesus, that you become a new creation. We read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 where it says that we are a new creation and the old ways of doing things, those thoughts, attitudes, actions, and behaviors um, are going to be replaced with a new way of doing things. And in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse two, we're told that we're supposed to be an active participant in this process of transformation, that we're supposed to choose to no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but to instead be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Paul teaches us in Roman, excuse me, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, that as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to put off our old self, put off those old ways of doing things because they're being corrupted by our deceitful desires. But I think as followers of Jesus, most of us instinctively have an idea of what those old ways are that we're supposed to put off. Maybe we don't enjoy talking about them, but we at least have a sense of where we should begin. But I think there's also an important question for followers of Jesus, and that is, what am I being transformed into? And uh, what is that supposed to look like? And to be honest, if we don't understand the goal of transformation, it can actually be pretty easy to lose our focus, to wonder whether or not we're making progress, or if we're doing the right things. But the good news is that the Bible is actually really clear about what it is the goal of transformation is supposed to be. We read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where it says that uh, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord. Now this should be an important verse for every follower of Jesus because it answers three really important questions for us. First, it tells us what the goal of transformation is we read this where it says that we are being transformed into his image whose image jesus christ you see as followers of jesus as we grow and mature we should look more and more like jesus christ we should begin to think like him we should begin to act like him we should even begin to react like jesus does in ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 we're told that because that we're supposed to imitate God because we are dearly loved children. And in the same way that we instinctively emulate the best qualities of our earthly parents, we're supposed to imitate God in his best qualities. But unlike our earthly parents who are not perfect, our heavenly father is. And so we can never go wrong imitating God in any of his characteristics. But I wanna be clear about something. We don't imitate God to pretend like we're better than we actually are. We imitate God in order to develop habits of godly behavior. The second question that this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 answers for us is who is being transformed. It says that, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. So everybody who is contemplating the Lord Jesus Christ's image is being transformed into his image. And this happens because as we read in the New Testament, every time people come face to face with Jesus Christ, they look into his eyes and they see a God who loves them. And there is incredible transforming power that happens when we come face to face with Jesus. Now, Jesus will encounter us in lots of different ways, but it always begins with God's word and prayer, and this is because God's word is powerful. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we're told that God's word is so powerful that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It knows the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and the thoughts and attitudes of our heart are exactly what need to be transformed. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says that the word of God is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And this is the process of transformation that we all need to go through. And in Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 24, David calls out to God and he says, God, search my heart. Show me anything in my heart that might be offensive to you because David knows that he has blind spots in his life and he needs God, he needs the word of God to reveal to him what needs to be transformed. The third thing that this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 answers for us is how we are transformed we are transformed, it says, with ever-increasing glory. This is another way of saying a little bit at a time. It doesn't happen all at once. It's going to happen over time. But be certain of this, you should be experiencing growth in your life because healthy things grow. So we want to see growth in your spiritual life as well as a sign of a healthy spiritual life with Jesus. There's a way to measure your own personal spiritual growth and that is to think about how and in what ways do your thoughts, attitudes, actions and behaviors look like Jesus Christ. And how does that compare to where you were at a month ago or a year ago or three years ago or 10 years ago? You should see a pattern of growth in your life. Now if you don't see a pattern of growth, you might be in a spiritual rut and it's okay. Sometimes we end up in ruts, but it's not okay to stay in a rut. If you find yourself in a rut right now, you need to pray to God. You need to ask that he will help you get out of that. You need to establish an accountability partner with another believer who can help encourage you and motivate you and ask the hard questions to help keep moving you along. But you know, as we grow in our spiritual lives and our relationship with Jesus, we don't always grow in every area of our lives at the same pace either. There are lots of ways that we can grow to look like Jesus over time. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we read about nine of these in the section that talks about the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. They include things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you may find that at times you are growing maybe really quickly in areas of love and kindness, but you realize that you still have a ways to go in terms of growing in gentleness and uh, patience or self-control. That's okay. We don't always grow all at once in every area at the same pace. It's sort of like that little puppy that has uh, big big feet and floppy ears and sharp teeth and makes messes in the corner every now and again. With time, that puppy is going to mature into a big, gentle dog, and uh, he's going to make a lot fewer messes too. And we're sort of like that in our growth. We grow up to look more and more like Jesus Christ. But you know, this list in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 isn't an exhaustive list of the characteristics of God. There are other ways that we can grow to look like Jesus over time. And Rebecca demonstrates one of those other ways, one of those other characteristics of God. It's the uh, characteristic of generosity. We have a generous God. I mean, our God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us. He gave up his son for us. And we read about this in the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John three sixteen where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And you know, Jesus loved us so much that he actually willingly gave up his life so that we could have that eternal life. The spirit gives us all sorts of peace and different types of uh, gifts. So as we consider how our God is generous and we think about how it is that we can look more like him, I just wanna caution that we don't fall into a really common trap. And it's common for a lot of people to think that generosity is all about money, or even mostly about money. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, think about it for a moment. God was generous with his son. Jesus was generous with his position. The Spirit is generous with his power. And Rebecca was generous with her time and her energy. None of these things had anything to do with money. Now, money is a great way to express your generosity on occasion, but true generosity is really much more about our heart than it is dollars and cents. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, when he teaches that God actually really cares about the condition of our heart. In fact, he says, whatever you've determined to give, do it cheerfully. Don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it under compulsion, because it matters to God why we're giving, and Jesus talks about this more with his disciples in Luke chapter 21, when he's, he and his disciples are sitting in church and they're watching people that are going by the offering plate. And there's, Jesus points out an old widow, poor widow, that is putting two small pennies into the offering plate. And Jesus says, do you see this old woman? He said, she's putting in more than all these other men who are writing big fat checks and $100 bills and transferring stock to the church because they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing it as a show. She's got the right attitude and they don't. And you know, here at Central, we don't want your giving to ever be a show either. And that's one of the reasons that We have made the decision that it's central. Nobody knows what your tithes and offerings are, except for our deacon of finance. We believe that that is something that is between you and God. And we trust that God's going to take care of you in this area of your life and your obedience to him. But we also trust that God's going to take care of Central Christian Church, just like he has for the last 81 years. But did you know that giving and generosity is something that you can grow in? It's actually a spiritual gift. That in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 and 8, we see giving listed right alongside other spiritual gifts like serving and teaching and showing mercy and encouragement. And growing in any of these areas can be really exciting. But I've personally been on an incredible journey where God has taught me so much and He has transformed my thinking and my attitudes so much in the area of giving over the last 15 to 20 years. Now I have to say I started out in a pretty okay place because my parents raised me to tithe regularly. Tithing is uh, the practice of giving to God's church the first 10% and God actually instituted the tithe in the Old Testament. And Jesus actually reiterates the importance of the tithe in the New Testament and you can read about that in Luke chapter 11, verse 42 on on your own if you wanna look at that more, but uh, Tithing is uh, something that I found easy to to do, but when it came time to doing more than that, because the New Testament actually calls us to go above and beyond the tithe, to be more generous, that's where it got a little bit sticky for me, because I understood the first 10%, that's God's, but the other 90%, I felt like that was mine, that I got to do with that whatever I wanted to do. But as God began to work on Michelle and me, as he started to call us to do more, it became a little bit of a battle. But it was about 12 years ago that Lon Hansen, who was one of our elders at the time, was giving an offering meditation on Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough for it all. And there's a principle here that I think God wants all of us to understand. And that is that the condition of our heart matters, and how we approach being generous matters. Earlier, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where Paul was talking about the fact that God truly does care about the condition of our heart. And he tells us to be generous as we give. But in the verse right before that, Paul also tells us to remember that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will reap generously. And Jesus re- re- reiterates the same principle in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, when he says... Give, and it will be given to you with the same measure that you use, that's how it's going to be poured out to you. So somehow the way that we approach giving and generosity in our lives will regulate the floodgates that God uses to pour out generosity in our lives as well. Consider this, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, "'I have come that you might have life "'and have it to the full.'" But what is the difference between having life and having it to the full? Well, we can all experience life through Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross. We read about this earlier in John chapter 3, verse 16, where God said, where John wrote, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We also read about this in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, where it says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So all of us can experience life through Jesus Christ. But let's face it, while we're living here on earth, we don't just wanna have life, we wanna have the abundant life that Jesus talks about. And quite honestly, I see way too few followers of Jesus enjoying that abundant life that Jesus talks about. So how do we obtain this abundant life that Jesus offers? I think we do this by living according to God's principles. And the principle that we're looking at today is the principle of giving, the principle of generosity, the principle of sowing and reaping, where if we sow generously in our lives, we're going to reap generously. But if we sow sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly. Rebecca chose to sow generously in her life. She saw a need, and she didn't just meet the need. She went above and beyond the need. Somebody asked her for a cup of water. She didn't just offer him a cup of water. She also watered his camels. And she didn't do this because she was trying to get anything from the servant. She did it because she was filled up. She was generous for the right reason. She knew that she had a God who was generous, and she was reflecting his character through her. But what Rebecca didn't know is that this servant who had asked for the cup of water was actually the servant of Abraham on an important mission to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And this servant of Abraham had been praying moments before Rebecca arrived. And he was asking God, God, would you show me favor today? Show me the woman that you've chosen for Isaac. May it be the woman who not only gives me a cup of water, but also offers to water my camels. And before this servant is even finished praying, Rebecca shows up and does precisely that. And as she finishes watering his camels, he falls down and begins to praise God, awed by the fact that God has so much power and ability and willingness to answer prayer. Rebecca saw a need and she met it. She was generous with her time and her energy. She was willing to engage with the people that God had placed in her life. And because of her generosity, God chose to use her to accomplish his purposes. And also because of her generosity, God blessed her richly. When she became uh, the betrothed for Isaac, uh, the servant of Abraham gave her all sorts of jewelry and valuable gifts. She went on to live a life of, of adventure. She was married to Isaac. She had sons, Jacob and Esau. She had over 12 grandchildren. She lived the abundant life that Jesus offers. But probably the thing that would have surprised Rebecca more than anything is that because of her generosity, she went on to be a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. And each of us are going to have opportunities in our lives to answer the call that God places on our heart, to be generous at moments to be prompted by God, to engage with somebody that God places in our life. And we're going to have to make a choice. And I hope that each of us will make the same choice that Rebecca made to sow generously in our lives. But I also have to stop here and say that there's a caution in what we're teaching this morning. And that is that as we teach about this Uh, principle of giving, the principle of generosity, the principle of sowing and reaping, we have to recognize that there are some today that have misapplied or misused this teaching. There are some that teach something called the prosperity gospel that twists God's words to make it sound that if you want to be rich and prosperous, all you need to do is give to God's church, and that somehow God is obligated to make you successful. And I want to be really clear that here at Central Christian Church, We reject those teachings. Our God is not some God that is a genie in a bottle that we call out on occasion to simply help us make ends meet or to get rich. No, we serve a God that cares for us, that is powerful, that he isn't something for us to use and abuse. He is a God that we are to grow and reflect in. And as I was thinking through, how do we make this distinction between true generosity and other misapplied ways of thinking about the Bible, I was talking to my mom and I said, how do we, how do we make this distinction? And I just love the way she said it. She said, you know, the prosperity gospel is really a form of giving that attempts to manipulate God in order to meet our own deep desires. But true generosity is a form of being obedient to God, coupled with a deep love of people that seeks to fulfill God's deepest desires. And I just loved that distinction that when we're being truly generous with the right attitude, it is God's desires that are being fulfilled. Now, if you're concerned that maybe you don't have the right motivations for your giving, that's okay, because honestly, none of us start out with right motivations in every area of our life. My encouragement to you is simply this, practice being generous and then ask God to change your heart. Ask God to show you how to change your motivations because that's what God wants for you. He wants to transform you. He wants to work with you through the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life to look more and more like his son Jesus in every area of your life, including the area of generosity. Now, as we prepare to close today, I just wanna acknowledge that we've covered an awful lot of scripture uh, this morning. And uh, there was actually more scripture that I wanted to include in the sermon, but we just didn't have time for it. And so if you want to look at the message notes that are going to be posted online, you'll see all the scripture that we looked at today. You'll also see some other scripture that I couldn't make room for this morning. But as you read the Bible, what you see is that the Bible is filled with encouragement to followers of Jesus to be generous to give to others, even sometimes to give to our enemies. And while being generous and giving to others may not always feel natural at first, it may not be what you always want to do, God is in the transformation business. That God wants to bless your life by encouraging you to be generous to others, just like he is. And just as Jesus came and said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, if we, will exp- if we will practice generosity and live according to God's principles, we can enjoy that full, rich life that Jesus desires for you. But for Rebecca, it all started with a simple question, a simple request from a stranger that she didn't know, a request for a cup of water, and she decided that she would do more than just offer the cup of water, that she would go above and beyond that request. And my question for you this morning is just to ask, what is it that the Holy Spirit is asking you this morning? What area of your life is he asking that you might make him Lord over? Is it the area of generosity? Is so it one of those other characteristics of God that we looked at in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit? What is it that the Holy Spirit is asking you to try this morning? And what will your response be? Will you ignore the Holy Spirit? Will you do the bare minimum? Or will you be like Rebecca? Will you not only answer the call of what the Holy Spirit is asking you this morning, but go above and beyond that? Will you be all in? Will you allow God to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you won't even have room for it? Our God is in the transformation business, and wherever you're at this morning, our God can do it. and Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a truly generous God. Lord, you demonstrate your love and your generosity toward us in so many different ways. We uh, just thank you for all of it, but none of it would be worth anything if you hadn't sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that we could enjoy eternity with you, Lord. And so first and foremost, we thank you for that. But Lord, we also just pray that you would open up our hearts, that we would have a desire to learn to be more like you in all these other aspects, including this principle of generosity, where we can look more like you in how we approach generosity, and that we can imitate you and grow to look more and more like your son, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would um, point out those areas in our lives where you want to grow us. Lord, thank you for the ways that you work in us and through us, And we just ask that you would be with each person in our congregation this week as they go forward to try and contemplate the glory of your son to be transformed to look more and more like him. In the name of your son, Jesus.